right, good morning. We are James 1, verse 19, 19 through 27. Uh, go ahead and turn there. Trying to find it myself. Here we go. <clears throat> so for the last few weeks in James, we've primarily dealt with how a Christian should respond to trials and how we should respond to suffering, right? So two weeks ago when Pastor Jeff taught, we, we learned that we should rejoice in our trials of various kinds. Um, just as an aside, I love that James says trials of various kinds, not just trials. Because if you think trials, then you're like, oh, you're persecuted. That's the kind of trials that James is talking about. But he goes out of his way to say, you know, it's trials of various kinds. Not just persecution, but that, of course. But we're also talking about the trials of your dryer going out and having to boil your water and being quarantined for two weeks and being exhausted all the time and not having enough time in the day to get everything done that you need to do. We're talking about your health crisis, financial crisis, family crisis, all of those trials. What God says to do in the midst of those is to rejoice in them because the trials are given by God. They're used by him to help you build endurance. And endurance helps you to be this complete, perfect man where you're lacking in nothing. Um, throughout, throughout the letter, really, James holds out this picture of the perfect man, the complete man, the one who's, who's, who's right and righteous in every way. We could say it's, you know, the picture of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of the perfect man. Um, and he says, okay, Christian, this is, this is what you want to be like, right? Like, but none of us are actually perfect, right? We're missing a chunk from, you know, our arm because we're lacking, we're inconsistent, we're double-minded. We have like a hole in our side where we're quick to shoot off at the mouth or like in our back where we blame God for our problems. We're not just this complete person. We're, we're all lacking in different areas. Maybe there's a piece missing where we're partial or selfish or we're missing in ear because we're unwilling to listen to others. We're not the, the picture of the complete man that we're designed to be. Instead, we're these broken, incomplete people. And James says, but look at him. Look at this perfect man. Isn't that who you want to be? And if you do, which any Christian should, then you're going to rejoice in anything that helps to get you there. If it's trials that you need to get you to be perfect and complete, then, then we will rejoice in the trials that God gives to strengthen us. God doesn't want us to be this, what? This spiritual atrophied church. He wants us to be like muscular, buff, spiritual Schwarzeneggers, right? So he gives us these, these burdens that are heavy for us to lift, not to crush us any more than, you know, a dumbbell is given to crush you, but rather to build up that muscle of endurance so that as we work out in the gym of suffering, we can grow in our spiritual ability to be perfect and complete. Which is why last week, right, Bobby reminded us, so when we get these trials, don't blame God for them. Like, oh no, God's doing something bad to me. He's trying to hurt me. He's trying to tempt me. Because God's not tempting us. God's trying to help us. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to strengthen us. God doesn't want to crush us in this. He wants to make us strong, like this perfect and complete man, like our big brother, Jesus Christ. But this morning, we kind of, we mostly shift gears a little bit. Not completely. We're not going to leave trials behind 100%. But the focus goes from now, you know, 
enduring trials with joy to now the focus is how do you actually receive life through Jesus Christ? How do we become this perfect and complete man? One, one way is God strengthens us through trials. A second way, the primary way, I would say, is by receiving the word of life or by receiving the scriptures. So really what we're talking about this morning is just what does it mean to be a Christian? It, it's fairly simple. Or what does it mean to live as this perfect and complete man, to live in wisdom and to live in righteousness and wholeness and perfection? When I say perfection, we, we hear that not the way that James says it. When we hear perfection, we say without stain or blemish, right? Being perfect. Um, when James says perfect, he's talking about being whole or complete. Not being, you know, without any flaws whatsoever, but without these gaping holes in our lives where we're not like Jesus, where we, we sin still. We're not, you know, perfect in that way, but we confess our sins. We repent. We turn back to Christ. And so... James tells us, okay, what's it mean to live like this perfect, complete, whole man? And let me give you my outline for this morning. I didn't put it up on the board because it's pretty intense. Point one, receive the word. That's 19 through 21. Point two, do the word. That's 20 through 22 through 27. Receive the word, do the word. Let me, uh, let me read this and we'll get into it. What? Is, that, is that too much? It's six words. Did I need less? Receive word, do word? Is that like receive gospel? Okay, let me, let me read here and then we'll, we'll get into this this morning. So I'm starting in James 1.19, reading through the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, I don't know about you. I'm going to assume this is true about you because it's true about me. But when I'm experiencing the trials that we talked about earlier in this chapter, uh, two things about me go into overdrive. My mouth and my temper, right? Um, it, it's like, I don't care what the situation is. If it's really minor, spilt milk. We don't even use dairy milk in our house. We use almond milk. It doesn't stink if it gets old. But spilt milk... My mouth and my, my temper go into overdrive. All the times we've had to visit the ER where there's, you know, something significant happening. My, my gut reaction is to say, you know what? This is a wrong thing that's happening. This is not good. And therefore, I need to fix it. I'm the only one who can fix it. So, so that means if I know how to fix it, no one else does. 
Chrissy can't tell me what to do here. No one can tell me how to deal with this. It's up to me to fix that. Therefore, if you oppose me in this, you are going to you know, hear all about it, about how I don't need to listen to you, but you need to listen to me. And you're going to get a little bit of my wrath because not only are you opposing me, but now you're opposing the right solution to whatever trial we are going through. So I guess to use the words of James 1.19, I am slow to listen, but quick to speak and quick to get angry because I'm convinced that I am the one who's responsible to usher in the goodness and righteousness of God's kingdom. It's up to me to set everything that's wrong right, right? I, I'm the one who holds wisdom and power in this situation. I forget these things actually belong to God. So in ushering in the kingdom of righteousness, of things being right and not, you know, wrong, like, oh no, we have spilt milk. I think, well, if I'm the Messiah, I need to take care of this and I'm going to do whatever it takes. To oppose me is to oppose the rightness of God's kingdom. And so I am quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to listen. And James starts off saying, don't be like Dan, right? He says, what we're called to do is actually just the opposite of this. If we want to accomplish the righteousness that God requires in us, if we want to be this, what, the perfect and complete man I was just talking about, then, then it's not going to come from our own anger. It's not going to come from us trying to usher in the righteousness and, you know, the setting of things being right in God's kingdom. Because look at verse 20. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our own anger and whatever situation it is doesn't produce wholeness that we're after. It doesn't produce the righteousness in us that God requires of us and he wants to create in us. In fact, our anger, it goes into this whole category of verse 21 of filthiness and rampant wickedness. Um, therefore, the, the opening statement, it transitions us and it makes a lot of sense, right? It's, it's good general advice, but especially in trials. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because if completeness, if Christ-likeness is what we're after, if that's what God requires, if being part of his kingdom is our goal, then our own anger is never going to get us there. It's going to work against us. So James says, take this sin, take all your other sins that, that are rampant, right? and to strip them off. Um, the, the, the picture here is, so yesterday, I mean, every weekend now, I have to spend the, the day outside, um, at least until it snows, to do all the yard work that should have been done, I don't know, a few months ago, but we have a newborn and I'm lazy, so it's not done. I'm like, I'll do it in the evenings, but now, as of today, it gets dark at like three in the afternoon, so there's no evenings to do stuff. So anyways, when I, when I come in on a Saturday, you know, to get cleaned up, to eat dinner and whatnot, I'm generally covered in something nasty. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, spraying out the gutters and all of the gutter gunk raining down on me. Um, or a power sprayer throwback from cleaning, cleaning the house. Yesterday it was a uh, rusty water from the inside of our furniture legs that are on the patio. Pick them up to put them in the shed and just all over me, rust water. Um, anyways, covered in something nasty and I'm coming through the garage door and Chris is like, no. Uh-uh. Hang on. You stay in the garage. 
I'm going to bring you, you know, a trash bag for everything and some gym shorts. There's a towel in the bathroom. Just like take all of your nasty off in the garage, put it in the bag, put on gym shorts, get in the shower. Don't stop. Don't talk. Don't pass go. Like just no. Um, that's that's what, what James calls us to. All of that filthy stuff on us, all of that sin that's all over us, this rampant wickedness, just strip it off in the garage, get rid of it, and we need something else. We, we don't need our unwillingness to listen. It doesn't help us to be righteous like God. We don't need our quick, harsh, impatient speech. That, that's not building us up into the complete man. We need something else. Uh, look, at, look at verse... Where are we? 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And what we need is to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Um, one of the difficulties of studying James is that people, smart people, respected people are like, man, James does not have the gospel in it. Like, this is an epistle of straw. What, how do you be gospel-centered in the book of James? It's a book that's all about doing things, about works righteousness, about, you know, not receiving righteousness from Christ, but doing it ourselves. Um, but you know what we just read? Put off your sin, receive the word. Does that sound like anything to anyone? We can, we can talk, that's fine. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? It sounds familiar to Sherry. Putting on the righteousness of Christ that we can only have because of the gospel with him being, with Jesus being the propitiation for our sin. All right, I'm done. That's that's a better. I was I was just looking for like repent and believe the gospel, but yeah, that's. All right, I'm gonna skip like the next four pages here. No, if, if we want to become like Christ. We need to go to Christ. We need to receive his word. We don't strive for it in our own strength because that's going to lead to all sorts of sin and filthiness. But if we want to be this perfect, undivided person, we, we receive what's from outside, the word that's implanted from Christ. Not, you know, try and cultivate what's in us. We saw last week what's in us is sin that leads to death, Right? Rather, salvation comes from the outside, from the implanted word deep in our hearts, the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We receive holiness, completeness, wholeness by believing, by trusting, by, by receiving Christ's perfect life and death and resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross for our sin, and, and his, his victory that secures our salvation. James calls this receiving the word. Receive the implanted word. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ as your holiness, as your salvation, because your own anger, your own rampant wickedness and filthiness will not make you right with God. Now, we got to see this, right? That, that, that's a good evangelistic message, right? Hey, put off everything you're trying to do. Receive Christ if you want to be righteous. But look at verse 19. I'm going to ask a question. We can talk again. I'm just going to warn you. Um, according to verse 19, who's this message for? Believers. Believers, right? This isn't evangelistic. This isn't for unbelievers. It says, um, why can't I find this? My beloved... Brothers, Christians, those in the church. If you want to look like Christ, Christian, 
what you need is to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to be whole, if you want to be complete, if you want to be righteous like Christ, we press into the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we've been saved already, but we don't leave the gospel behind us and move on to doing better things apart from Christ. We don't try and achieve righteousness on our own, you know, like I do in trials when I do it by words and anger. What we need to do is to receive again and again and again continually the righteousness that God has given us through Jesus Christ. There's, there's no reason to be, you know, have trouble finding the gospel in, in the book of James because James is incredibly gospel-centered. He says, yeah, if you want to grow in your Christ-likeness, endurance is one place to do that. But the main way to do it is by receiving the word of Christ, receiving the implanted word. But in 22 and 27, he says, don't just, you know, hear the word to receive it. Receiving it is a bigger category. Um, he says, receiving, sure, it involves hearing the gospel, but it's going to require more than that. Receiving means hearing and doing the word. So, so this is point two now, right? Do the word. And people tend to get up in arms about this kind of language, right? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying hearing the gospel isn't enough. I need to do something because isn't, isn't Christianity all about faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, through the word alone, for the glory of God alone? Isn't that what we, you know, celebrated last Sunday? How can you say I need to do the word if, if, you know, being saved is all about hearing and believing. Are we saying that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ isn't enough? Is that what we're saying here? Um, because James clearly says in verse 22, I mean, let, let's just read it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So is, is hearing and believing the word not enough? Um, so we got, we got 20 minutes. Let me, let me deal with this question a couple different ways. And hopefully it will push us close to an answer for us. Um, and then, you know, when you're looking at your watch, you're like, man, Dan's going long. We're just going to touch on 26 and 27 briefly. So don't get too concerned. We'll make it to worship on time. Because uh, I'm convinced if, if we linger on this question of what does it actually mean to receive the word of God, then, then it will help clear up some of these misconceptions that we have in our mind. Um, and just so we're aware, in I want to say two weeks, maybe it's three weeks after Thanksgiving, I don't know how the schedule falls, um, I get to teach an entire lesson on does James, do James and Paul disagree? Uh, well, I guess if I do a bad job today, Pastor Jeff teaches a lesson on do, do James and Paul disagree? Um, so when we get to that, you know, the faith and works passage in chapter 2, we'll get to deal with this a little bit more fully. Um, so whatever I, you know, just create a mess today, we get a chance to clean it back up. Um, so there's more coming. That's all I'll say there. Um, so let me put it this way. One, one pastor that I respect he does not ever tell anyone to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, it's, it's biblical language. We all acknowledge that. But in our culture, it's, it's almost meaningless language, right? 
because through this American easy believism, we've gutted the phrase believe in Jesus Christ, right? We've so domesticated belief that it doesn't have any teeth anymore. Belief doesn't have a bite. Um, the reason he says, believe, he does not say believe in Jesus is because we're surrounded by unconverted people who think they believe in Jesus. Um, he writes this, Drunks on the street say they believe. Unmarried couples sleeping together say they believe. Elderly people who haven't sought worship or fellowship for 40 years say they believe. All kinds of lukewarm, world-loving church attenders say they believe. The world abounds with millions of unconverted people who say they believe in Jesus Christ. So it does no good to tell these people to believe in the Lord Jesus. The phrase is empty. So I use different words to unpack what believe actually means. That is, he calls people to believe, but he uses words that actually still have a meaning to them. He uses different words that have teeth that are true, that are biblical. And, and that book I just quoted, it was published in 1986. I wasn't around in 1986. And uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have thrown that out there. Um, this is how I feel in youth group all the time. I'm like, so in college, there was this book that came out, and they're like, yeah, we, we weren't alive when you were in college. Okay. Um, I'm convinced things have gotten cloudier in our language of belief in the last 30-some years, that we have this minimalistic view of belief, that when we hear believe, we understand it to be what James calls just, just hearing, right? Um, in verse 22. But what believe in the Bible is related to is receiving in verse 21. Um, so hearing is a small part of receiving, but we need to do more than hear. We need to receive, which involves hearing and doing. That's probably slightly confusing. Um, what I'm saying is that the receiving that James says in verse 21 doesn't fit with our 21st century American domesticated, non-demanding, cutesy, hobby religion that we like to call belief in Jesus. This sort of cultural evangelicalism needs to understand what belief or receiving actually means. And, and so did James's audience, apparently, right? Things never really change, which is why he goes on and he says, let me define what it means to receive the gospel for you. I mean, look at verse 22 again. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I mean, if we wanted to sit here and talk about squishy churches that don't demand anything in belief, like, that would be fun. I could spend the next 25 minutes making fun of people. Um, but it's, it's not what the text demands of us, right? Because the text doesn't warn us, hey, watch out for false teachers who hear the word but never believe it. What does it tell us to watch out for? For self-deception. For, for, for deceiving ourselves. James says this is, this is about us here. It's not, it's not about some other squishy churches out there. Listen, self-deception is a legitimate threat for all of us. We can sit under the word. We can hear the word. We can even acknowledge and enjoy the truthfulness of the word. But that doesn't equate with receiving the implanted word that's able to save your souls. That doesn't equate with believing the gospel. Or let me, let me not beat around the bush. I'll just say it. By the grace of God, this church is a word-centered church, and we rejoice in that. We are gospel-centered. We love the Bible. We love hearing God speak to us through his word. 
We, we love hearing from God, knowing his word, studying his word, teaching his word, preaching his word, singing his word, talking about his word, praying his word. And all of that is good and healthy, and we should rejoice and praise God for it. Because sadly, this isn't true of every church. But because of that, there is a strong temptation for all of us to say, okay, that means I am a mature, growing Christian because I come to Sunday school and hear the word. Then I'm going to go to worship and hear the word. And tonight I'm going to come back to FDN and hear the word. Tomorrow, it's over now. If this was last week, I would go to women's Bible study and hear the word. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to community group, not only to hear the word, but to talk about the word as well. And we can be convinced that hearing, 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 hearing is enough and fall into this trap of becoming this professional Bible hearer without ever letting the Bible do what it's meant to do in our lives. We can hear without ever doing what it says and then be convinced that we're, that, you know, we're actually receiving the word when really we're only hearing. And James calls this deceiving yourself. The Bible isn't here to just to give you like this, what, this sanctified entertainment to scratch your itching curiosities about theology or Bible trivia, to give you something to listen to and think on. The Bible exists to exercise Christ's rule over you. It's, it's like a governor set up by King Jesus to, to rule over your life, to have authority. It, it, it's your king. It's not your servant. And so we can be satisfied with, with simply hearing the word and agreeing with the word, but never actually doing the word. And, and, and that's not what it means to believe. We need to recapture this word. That's not what it means to receive the word. We, we can't fall into the trap of being satisfied with this kind of cheap knockoff religion that, that's peddled on so many street corners uh, and, and just say, yeah, hearing the word is good enough. I just need to listen and move on with my life. Um, that, that's not what James calls us to. That's not what the Bible calls belief. And if we're not careful, we'll be self-deceived and ULBC will become a sort of place where we speak the gospel, but we don't receive. We don't believe the gospel. We need to be aware of our own souls and not be self-deceived. I haven't really answered the question I set up, right? Does James call for, you know, is faith not enough or do I need works too? That's not a legitimate question, James 2 would say, but we'll, we'll pretend it is. Um, I, I've kind of danced around the topic. So let me, let me say one, maybe two more ways here, and hopefully <laughs> I'm a little bit clearer this time. In Mark 1, when Mark introduces us to the, to the man Jesus Christ in verses 14 and 15, he says this, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus links believing the gospel with the kingdom of God being here in him. So what does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? It, it's surely more than confessing that God is king, right? Just hearing God's king, okay. Um, but if you're in his kingdom, that requires you to submit to the king. 
um, uh, it, it, that's, what it, that's what it means to be a citizen. When the king says pay this amount of taxes, you pay this amount of taxes. When the king says do this, you do this. When the king says don't do that, you don't do that. Being part of the kingdom means acknowledging the king, accepting the truth of it. You know, God's king, I hear that. And it means living as a citizen of the kingdom, letting him rule over you. And this is exactly what James is saying. To receive the gospel isn't just to hear it and say, yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. I, I like this. Um, but when we acknowledge Christ as supreme, it means we submit to him as supreme. We begin to do what he says. Because if we're not obeying Christ as supreme, are, have we really received him as our Lord, as our, as our king? We have no reason to think that Jesus is our king if we're not submitting to him. That, that's a self-deception that we have in verse 22. So hopefully we now um, have, have this idea that, yeah, I can't just hear the word and say, sounds good, and move on with my life. It's going to require some sort of action, some output, some fruits of repentance, as Jesus would call it. Um, and just in case, you know, I need to explain it one more day, I'll take one more way, I'll take another crack at this dead horse. Um, look at verse 23 and 24. James gives us an illustration here. Um, well, it's not hard to explain. The illustration is you're getting ready for work or for whatever you do, and you walk by the bathroom mirror, and then you're like, oh, hang on a second. And you start staring, and you're like, okay, well, I messed a spot shaving here. Some of my breakfast is in my teeth. The rest of my breakfast is on my shirt. Um, maybe I shouldn't walk out the door. Maybe I should take five more minutes, change my shirt, brush my teeth, and comb my hair, fix my spot shaving, because I'm a mess right now. So you're like, all right, I'm going to do that. And then you hop in your car, and instead of, you know, fixing yourself, you go off to work. I call that Tuesdays. Um, but you should be asking, Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If you took the time to stare in the mirror and figure out everything that's wrong with you that's not lining up with what it should be, why did you just get in your car and go to work and not actually do anything about it? What, don't you have any sort of self-respect? The whole reason you stared into the mirror instead of just giving it that passing glance is because you wanted to see what was wrong so you could fix it. But when you saw it and just moved on, why did you even waste your time staring and figuring out what, what the mirror is telling you about yourself? If you're not going to do anything, don't just stare. It's pointless. You're wasting time. Go do something that's actually worthwhile. And the same thing with God's word, right? If we read it or hear it, just to be like, okay, and then we move on with our lives and never let it rule over us, then if we're never impacted with it, if we're never changed by it, then, then it's, it's pointless, it's worthless. That's not the kind of receiving the word that saves your soul. I mean, look at verse 25 with me. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres or abides or tarries or remains near, I don't know how your Bible translates that, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts upon what the word says, he will be blessed in his doing. This is our calling, not to be a hearer of the word who forgets, but a doer who, who tarries, who, who abides near the word of God and who acts upon it. And this verse actually gives us two reasons to act upon the word of God. They're, they're right there on the surface, right? At the very end of the verse, it says, 
the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Anybody want to be blessed by God? Is that a, is that a desire we have to have God's blessing in our lives? You know how we get God's blessing, James says? It's not by, you know, hearing and forgetting, but it's by doing. The doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And it also says, well, look at the way James describes the word of God. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, or maybe it's translated the law that brings freedom, doing the law makes you free which seems kind of counterintuitive because we don't think law and freedom goes together, right? We think a lack of restriction creates freedom. Um, you know, maybe if you're on the right, you would say, don't tread on me. If you're on the left, you'd say, keep your laws off my body. That there's, there's, you can't have law and freedom together. Um, but, but James says, no, if we abide by this law, it's going to bring freedom into our lives. It's a law of liberty which makes complete and total sense based on what we heard last week, right? That God's not interested in, 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 in taking away good things from you. If God is the perfect father of lights who never changes and everything that comes from him is good and perfect for us, then when, our, when the law comes from God, it's going to be good for us and perfect for us. God doesn't want to restrict us in our freedom, in our joy, in our goodness, in our happiness, in our wholeness and completeness. He wants to what, box out the illegitimate pleasures that are going to come and kill us in the end. He wants us to be free, so he gives us his law. And so receive the implanted word. Hear and do God's law. It will save your soul it will bring you blessing, blessing, and it will make you free. So, I was going to say that's how it was from the beginning in the garden. Yeah. Like the one restriction he gave was meant to preserve their lives. Absolutely. And it's when they saw, when they believed Satan's lie and saw that restriction as, as something bad, mm -hmm. like God tempting. Right? Yep. That's where everything fell apart. Yeah, there was blessing while you were under and obeying God's law, and then the lack of blessing came by getting rid of the law. Um, yeah, I think we, well, we'll save that trail for maybe in two weeks here. Um, yeah, I don't have time to go down there. So let, let me close with application here. So when we think of, okay, so I get this. Receive the word means hear it and, you know, submit to it, do it. What does that look like? Uh, James gives us just three categories that are super helpful in 26 and 27. He says, control your speech. Yeah, we'll just skip that one entirely. Um, help the vulnerable and avoid worldliness. Um, I'm not going to say much about these because if, if you come to the rest of, you know, our series on James, Chapter 2 of James is all about how we deal with the vulnerable. Chapter 3 is all about how we deal with our speech. And chapter 4 is all about how we, you know, deal with worldliness. So we're, we're going to come and talk about these in the weeks to come. 
But what we need to see is that receiving the word of God, receiving the gospel, being a Christian, living as part of the kingdom of God, however you want to call this, it has sweeping implications for our life. It's going to change the way that we carry ourselves and that, that we interact with others. It's going to cause us to fight for the vulnerable and to relieve the distress of those who are taken care of, the widows and the orphans, or maybe the refugees and minorities and those caught in trafficking and those wrongly convicted and the victims of abuse and the homeless and the foster kids. It's going to demand vigilance in our lives for personal holiness, that we strive to look like Christ and not the world, that we're not looking worldly in our finances, in our speech, in our sexuality, in our relationships, in our work, in our parenting, in our prioritization, in our emotions, in every other category. Because as verse 27 says, if we want a religion that's pure and undefiled, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to look like visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unstained by the world. I mean, that's not all that religion is. You know, religion that's pure and undefiled by God, before God, is one that's relying on this implanted word to save you and then producing fruit that looks like this. Um, but that's what we're shooting for, right? We want to be holy. We want to be like Christ. We want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We want to have this life that shows yeah, God is my king, and I'm going to act like that. We want to show the world that we are God's people, and we want to please God. So I have two minutes. Let me, let me just end with what I'm not saying. Because I, I'm, I'm worried, A, because my structure wasn't actually receive the word, do the word. It was more like Dan's ramblings about, you know, what it means to believe the gospel. Um, that's your outline. It's just, Dan just rambled for 40 minutes. I have no idea. Um, but when you teach James, it's really easy to hear something that sounds like this, that says, faith without works is dead. Therefore, I don't see works in my life, which means my faith is probably dead. So I need to get working on doing deeds, and doing deeds will revive my faith, and then God will love me. If that's what you heard me say, we, we need to listen in, right? If you, need, if you heard me say, I need to work hard at, you know, being holy and helping the vulnerable so that God will receive me. Otherwise, he won't give me his gospel. I need to be, you know, slow to anger, quick, slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen so that I can receive the gospel. Otherwise, it can't come to me. Then... Just, just forget the last 40 minutes because that's not at all what James is teaching. That's the opposite of what James is teaching. It's not, okay, if your faith is dead, then do works and those revive your faith. We call that legalism, right? Because works don't save you. Works are the outcome of being saved. Um, rather, if you see a lack of works in your life, you know what we need to do? We need to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And as, that, as that, that word lives within you, as it grows within you, it's gonna come out in, in all different sorts of works. Um, so speaking of you know, cleaning up my yard yesterday, this was a conclusion that now turned into an illustration which is Sunday School Part Two. Um, one of the, the biggest pains that I have is my oregano plant because I was told, hey, oregano spreads. What you want to do is get a nursery pot, like the little plastic two-gallon pots, 
plant the oregano in the pot and then put the pot in the ground. That way the oregano won't spread, but it will stay constrained um, because, you know, plastic doesn't decompose ever and it will stay there. So I did that and I don't know, my oregano is just like, I don't care. And it all over my garden. My entire garden's oregano now. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to clip this. I'm like, do I get a chainsaw, a weed whacker, lawnmower? Like, how do I deal with this? The oregano wasn't content to stay in just a little pot. It took over. And now it's growing all over the place. My roses are getting choked out, everything. When we receive the word of God, it's not like it's just going to stay in this little belief category. It pushes out into every area of life and starts producing slowness of speech, slowness of anger, quickness to hear, caring for vulnerable, being unstained by the world. As you receive the word, it brings life to you and starts producing these works. The warning James gives isn't, hey, you got to do things for God to love you. It's, hey, don't abort this process of God working in you halfway through. You need to have this full receiving, which allows you to submit to God and to do what he requires. And if we see our works, right, praise God for that. What do we do? The same thing James calls the brothers to in this text, to press into the word of God, to press into the gospel, to receive this word that is able to save your soul because self-deception is real and dangerous. And we constantly need to be reminded that it's the gospel, not our own attempts, that lead us to be this perfect and complete man. All right, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, um, that you would help us, that you would give us your word, your gospel afresh, that we would hear it um, again and again and not be what, immune to it, inoculated to it, bored with it, thinking, I've, I've done this. Let me move on to something more important. But that we would continually receive your gospel, that we would press in and believe it and receive it, that it, we would let your word do what it does to have authority over our lives, that we would submit to you as king, that we would not well, be deceived into having just this sort of, I heard it and I'm good mentality, but that we would actually receive it as our supreme authority, as our sovereign Lord, as your authority coming to us, and that we would submit to it and that we would do it. Lord, um, this, is, this isn't an easy concept. I'm sure I left plenty of questions unanswered. I caused some confusion. So I pray that you would give us clarity as we seek out understanding in these things, that you would give us um, a humility to ask questions, to talk with others about your word, that we would um, be people who don't just hear, but that live it out and do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.